Welcome to These Fucking Teenagers, the extremely polite podcast where we consider in an <laughs> academic light uh, the television programs Gossip Girl and Glee. I'm Matthew Rather, and with me is Jordan Stokes. Hi, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here, Matthew. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you. It's always a pleasure to have you. There's something different about this podcast today. I can't quite tell what it is. The absence of assholes. Oh, yes. Yes. I was looking around today and I thought, and sniffing, I was sniffing my environment and thought, there are remarkably fewer assholes on this podcast. In fact, the quotient of assholes has decreased by 100%. I was going to go 33%, but all right. <laughs> it's still a bunch less assholes, man. <laughs> That's right. I don't, I, I don't feel like shouting at the listeners. I don't feel like <laughs> alienating and confounding those who reward us with their time and attention. <laughs> what, what could it be? Could it be that Ryan Sheely brings out the worst in me, like a kind of devil brother? <laughs> nice. So am I, am I the angel on your shoulder? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're the good moral voice sitting on my shoulder, right. and, I, and I am a proxy for the audience. Um, no, I, I certainly am not that. Um, Hey, well, welcome to the show. Uh, Ryan is not here. Jordan is here, but that's okay because we are just going to talk about Glee. Both, both shows are on hiatus right now. Um, and we are delivering another weekly episode. I don't know how long we can continue to keep doing this. It does seem like a kind of pie in the sky, uh, sort of fantasy, but Hey, here we are. It's wonderful. Um, presumably this will be the last week because the shows are on hiatus, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't have anything to say really again until they. Until they come back, we could do a listener feedback episode, but that's dumb. Um, we should just cruelly do weekly episodes right until the shows come back and then stop. And then stop. Yeah. You know what? They'll just be speculation episodes. I wonder, I wonder what could happen. And then yeah. we turn our attention to Series 5 of Skins, which is airing on UK TV as we speak. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yes, this is the, these fucking teenagers podcast. We are on Facebook. This is the thing we're pushing now. Get on the Facebook page. Uh, it's, uh, there's no um, easy URL for it, so you have to search for These Fucking Teenagers Podcast, or maybe just These Fucking Teenagers on Facebook. Uh, it's, it is uncensored, unlike everywhere else on the internet, where it's these F star 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 ING teenagers, like in iTunes. Um, but uh, find us there. Uh, on the Facebooks and like us uh, there. I, there's no... There, <laughs> you like me. You really like me. There's no benefit, really, that I can, I can see to, um, to liking us on Facebook other than you'll meet other, you'll meet other intelligent people uh, like you who really, uh, who really get, get the uh, you know, sociological message behind these shows on a deep level. So why not do that? And... Um, You'll also, will, I don't know, we'll be able to, like, communicate things to you in a more efficient manner. Uh, I don't know. So, Certainly more efficient than the podcast. Yeah. Than, than telling them to you in your ear <laughs> through the medium of recorded sound. That's just silly. Uh, so do that. Uh, follow us on the Twitters at TFT Podcast, twitter.com slash TFT Podcast. Uh, if you like, you can email us at TFT Podcast at overthinkingit.com. And uh, also, if you like, you can um, call, though really only chumps do this. You can call or text 20 fat jog. Zero one two zero three two eight five six four zero one. An answer to all your podcast contact and nutrition needs. Uh, fat <laughs> jog jog. Oh one. Uh, <laughs> isn't that funny? D Twenty fat jog. Oh one. Um, I don't know what the O one stands for. Uh, super. That's all I have to say. Oh, uh, other uh, other than this, do us a favor and go on iTunes and and rate this podcast. Uh, click a star rating for it uh, if you like it. If you don't like it, keep your damn opinion to yourself. But uh, if you do like it, would you do us a favor and go on iTunes? We actually show up 
And we discovered this with the other show. We actually can get into the featured list on iTunes. Probably not this show with fucking in the title, but who knows? Um, we can get... I mean, Gleeful is all over the featured list on, on uh, iTunes, though, though they are spoiler-free and uh, profanity-free, and we are not. Um, so, uh, but, you know, hey, let's do a little experiment. Let's stick it to the man. Stick it to the I-man, you know? Uh, go on iTunes and um, uh, wherever you subscribe to, to this show and give it a star rating. That'll help uh, surface us in the, you know, search results and things like that. Would you try that for us? We'd, we'd really appreciate it if you did. Anyway, uh, thanks very much. Sorry to ramble on and on, Jordan. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm never sorry to ramble on and on. Uh, the... Um, so what's on the what's on the agenda? What's on the docket for uh, today? What's on the syllabus? I should say. Well, we have we have a couple of backlogged episodes of Glee to get through for sure, and we were going to be paying attention to. I mean, we talked about the original song one last time. The two before that were these really after school, especially episodes that have some interesting ramifications. So we're going to try to try to get through those. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, absolutely. So we have the. Um, we have the alcohol one and the uh, the sex one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In that order, as is so often the case. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to? Do you have something you want to jump in with, or should we go? Should we go in order? Should we go alcohol then sex, or should we uh, do something else? Yeah, let's do alcohol then sex. Yeah. I feel like there might be a little bit more to say about the sex one, so we'll save the best for last. Uh huh. The alcohol episode was interesting. Well, first of all, it's interesting because right about the time that uh, Glee did this school assembly about alcohol where the performance goes horribly, horribly wrong, but ends up uh, going right because people see the true dangers of alcohol. Uh, Community did an episode where they put on a sort of performance for the kids about the dangers of drug use that went horribly, horribly wrong. But then uh, went right in the end because it convinced people of the actual dangers of drug use. Right, and it's it's really kind of weird how community has been shadowing Glee all it, along. Yeah, it's not the first time it's happened. Yeah, like either either someone is uh, is telling tales out of school, or they have a little gentleman's agreement or something. It, it lines up too neatly for it to be a complete coincidence. But beyond that, I think that this was an interesting episode because it did a pretty good job of depicting the actual experience of getting drunk at a party. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's right. I once heard J- Judy Bloom give an interview. Um, I, in my, I, I wrote it in my dream journal. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Judy Bloom gave an interview um, where she was talking about uh, all the books that she'd written, and, and she was like talking with her daughter. Apparently, Judy Bloom has a daughter, which is, has got to be a surreal experience. Uh, <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you get to be an adolescent, and you know, um, are you there, God? It's me, Judy Bloom's daughter. Uh, the um, and she said, I wanted to write a. a oh, uh, the daughter uh, said, Mom, can you just write a book where a couple in high school have sex and like it is neither the end of the world nor the beginning of you know uh, fairy tale love everlasting. It's it just like they have sex and and life sort of continues and they they deal with the fallout from it. Um, mm-hmm. Glee, you know, for some, I, we're calling them the after school special or the morality tale episodes. Like, they really just sort of take the consequences realistically, seriously. You know, they take them seriously. Like, the, you know, the, the headaches. You're probably not, you know, if you're responsible and don't drive you're, and don't, you know, I don't know, drink yourself to the point of alcohol poisoning, you, you're probably not going to die. And you, uh, you're just going to have a really bad headache the next day. And, um, you know. And you'll do some stupid things, which is the other like realistic consequence yeah, that absolutely. shows up. Yeah, it's th- not like the the more cartoonish uh, the consequences of alcohol aren't real issues. Like people do die every day because of alcohol. People die of alcohol poisoning. People get in car crashes and whatnot. But using that to convince children not to drink is never going to work because it's rare enough that like making it happen 100% of the time in fiction, like kids are smart enough to realize that that's not their own experience. It's also, yeah, it's also, you're sort of, you're talking about kind of instrumental and not intrinsic harms, right? Like, 
you know, I don't know. Alcohol is bad when you combine alcohol with um, irresponsibility, or it's bad when you combine it with automobiles or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or uh, you know what I mean with kind of excessive, excessive behavior. And it's it's easy enough to sort of dismiss that because it's like, okay, yes, if there's a perfect storm of bad things that happen, sure, it'll you know. But the thing itself is not bad. You know, the problem there is irresponsibility. The problem is you know not hiding your keys or you know whatever it is. It's you know it's easy. I mean, I don't know. It's it's I'm actually I'm 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 kind of intrigued by this conversation that we're having. Like, is it is it really our job to use like helpful stories to tell to tell kids how to behave? I guess it is. I mean, you got to tell kids how to behave, otherwise they won't know. But, uh, <laughs> right, right. I you know I guess someone has to at least like hold up the standard for the good life. Um, and Socrates is unavailable, so okay, but. Uh, like, does did anyone ever learn anything from an after-school special, or for that matter, for like an from an anti-drug assembly in school? I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Like, I, I feel like I I have an idea of what the consequences are from, say, doing steroids. And you know, anyone who's listening to this who's ever met me will know that I've never done steroids. <laughs> I'm just simply not. Uh, I'm not that athletic a guy. <laughs> Like that, I learned from an after-school special, right? Or actually, from a from an anti-drug assembly play, which I performed in uh, when I was in high school. But it, when I say that I learned it, I learned a certain body of information which I hold to be factually true, but may in fact not really resemble what like what steroid use is like in the real world, right? It may not be I mean, factually true, or it may be there may be like a. a it may be a certain selection of the facts that were presented to you and not sure. a whole, you know what I mean? Not a whole kind of picture of, uh, of what it's like. Wow. Were you the, were you the guy who was juicing and, and got really big and your testicles like shrunk to the size of peanuts and you, you got uh, enraged all the time? Oh, can I tell you, it was an anthology play <laughs> where like various different kinds of substance abuse uh, took place. I don't even really remember, honestly. People, what, uh, were there people playing the drugs? Because that would be awesome. No, no. It was, Hi, it was like... I'm cocaine. You may know me by the name Bolivian Marching Powder or Shale or... That, <laughs> shale? Bolivian Shale. Oh, I've never heard that. <laughs> I, can't, I don't know. That's hilarious. I could have just made it up. I don't think I did, but I could have. Um... But yeah, like so it was it was one of these plays where like every all of the characters turn out to be dead. We all like deliver monologues about how we overdosed on drug X. Oh, and so it it's like it's like Hell House. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> or uh I don't know. Or or no exit. Or the Inferno. Yeah, right, exactly that. Um <laughs> although Dante again like makes pretty persuasive cases for well at least for lust. I don't know that he uh, he doesn't go that hard on showing what an awesome time it was to uh, to be traitorous to one's country right. before you have to pay the piper. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So there you are. You know, uh, as as a child, young Jordan Stokes, uh, hmm. keeping the kids off roids, juicing yeah. the juice, the muscle juice. Right. Right. And. Uh, yeah, like so the point of that kind of play, there are sort of two points, one of which I think is effective, one of which I think is not effective. The one that it is supposed to do, and I don't think it's effective at this, is when some of these children are put into situations where they come into contact with drugs and are encouraged to take drugs, uh, either directly or through some kind of social pressure, they will know enough about what drugs do and how drugs are to make the informed decision not to take drugs. Like, that's what it's supposed to be about. I don't think that works. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the effect that it really does have, though, is that those children who are never put into a situation where they encounter some of these drugs, uh-huh. right? So, like, for me, steroids. I was never put in a situation where it even seemed like a good idea to take steroids until later on I, uh, I developed asthma and you have to take steroids. <laughs> um, I had these, different, I had different these really kind of bad allergies. I had bad allergic rhinitis and the, you know, yeah. the flonase is a steroid technically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and then I beat my girlfriend. No, I'm just, you know, <laughs> my nose got insanely jacked. Um, <laughs> like I, I was never in that situation. I was never on a football team i was never weightlifting 
So because the only scenario in which I ever encountered steroids, kind of the idea of steroids, was in this play, I then made a certain kind of moral assumptions about steroid use. And I assumed that everyone who had made the decision to use steroids, you know, like Mark McGuire, when he decided to use steroids, his impression about what steroids were was the same as my impression derived from this moralizing play. And it made me judge him more harshly. So I think that's what the things actually accomplish. When it's a drug that you actually encounter in your life, and like from the the various alcohol plays that I like had to be in or watch, like I later encountered alcohol and realizing that it was quite different from the situation that was presented to me in the play, drank the alcohol, like the plays just become comedy. And the, like, the, the decision-making process depicted in the play has no bearing on the decision-making process to drink or not drink alcohol in a given situation, sure. I think. The, well, right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I was, not a, um, I was not a big drinker in high school, I got to say. I think I may have had a couple cups, a couple red solo cups of, you know, watery, sudsy keg beer, uh, you know, at a couple senior house parties, right? Like... Uh, when I was in high school for all my like, you know, big city, uh, kind of upbringing stuff. I, w- I was, uh, pretty uptight about that, that kind of thing. But, um, the, uh, <laughs> as a morality play, I mean, Glee is, comports a lot more, uh, with my actual experience when I got to college where like, you know, uh, uh, so long as I was responsible and and uh, uh, not reckless, right? Like the um, the major consequences were like you know I don't know maybe half an hour of the spins, right? And a terrible headache the next day, and then uh, having to face having to face a lot of awkward situations. Yeah, there are social consequences, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you know, it, which is so funny because that's wouldn't that be a better way to sell? to sell anti-drinking to kids because uh, the social world is so important to you as a teenager. Whereas, uh, whereas the idea of dying it, a, you know, it kind of doesn't penetrate your, your sort of invincibility complex when you're a teenager and, uh, and B it, it, even if it did, even if it, um, it, it seems like such a, a minimal risk to take. I mean, the risk reward, uh, uh, calculation seems to go, in favor of drinking a lot of the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like there's, I, I forget where I read this. I think it's, I think this is actually Foucault, although it's like the least uh, highfalutin Foucault thing ever. That typically people are more concerned by small penalties, which absolutely will accrue, than they are by vast penalties, which might accrue. Like sure. everyone and their mother downloads stuff for free from the internet, even though it's illegal. And if you got caught, you might have to pay ten thousand dollars. Most people pay, like return their library books on time because they will pay twenty cents if they like if they don't do that. That's that. Yeah, that's super interesting, and it's almost like if you really want to incentivize um, not doing the bad behavior, huh? That's that's interesting. Maybe we should start finding overthinking at writers twenty cents when they don't. <laughs> Turn in their yeah. articles on time. Yeah. Um, no, because uh, where would we get the money? Uh, right, right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so fair enough. So there are, I mean, there are social consequences, and the one, the one here has to do. I mean, the big one here has to do with Rachel and Kurt and Blaine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, like I, I think this, this interesting kind of alcohol is a s- destroyer of identity. Like Ryan and I coined this idea of non-oriented sexuality, which is mm. the, the kind of the Santana-esque, though I, yeah, we're going to have to revise our idea of this, I guess. But like the Santa, Santana-esque, you know, I'm like a reptile. I need a warm body under me at all times. Um, yeah. You know, that just that kind of like, uh, you know, if it moves, fuck it. Um, sure. The, uh, it's, it's really more um, autoerotic than it is uh, partner based. Sure. Right. Uh, yeah, I buy that. Um, but that that um, the the uh, the homosexual characters, right, are the ones that that doesn't seem to apply to. You know what I mean? And it, it actually doesn't seem to apply to the guys also. It's, you know, it's just the, it's just the women. And mm. we had our, you know, we had our, oh, what was that? Um, I think it's called Context, the pop sociology journal that we um, referred everyone to to sort of talk about girls making out with girls. Uh, there's an article about it. It's in the show notes for a previous episode if you want to go back and... Um, 
uh, and have a look at it. So, uh, okay, so the 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 gay young men or the gay guys are not non-oriented. They're gay. Uh, but the alcohol sort of breaks that down. You know what I mean? It sort of turns, um, it, it sort of devol- d- dissolves boundaries of identity and kind of identity categories. Yeah. And that, and you know, what's left is, is just sort of desire. You know what I mean? Mm. What's, what's left is the mad press of flesh against flesh. Uh, yeah. You Which know. is funny because, like that, you're saying that like it's a bad thing, but then isn't that uh, something to be lauded, right? Sort of. I mean, I don't know. It depends. It depends whether you think it's a good thing or not. That that we have identities. I actually, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like, I I am not. I, I don't know. You know, Jordan, I turned thirty this year, and a- along with that, a man's thoughts turn to to his own death in in three or four hundred years. And the um... you know, I turned thirty this year. I thought about your death too, <laughs> <laughs> to his death or the death of his closest friends. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I sort of i I realized like turning thirty. I you know I it, my God, you know you're still. Uh, quite all this stuff that like you're old and your life is over this is like i don't know this is uh i guess if you watch gossip girl and glee you would believe that such a thing is true because what is left for us but uh you know a life as a uh, high school uh glee club uh coach right but um Mm -hmm. you know you you do start to think that like hey maybe there are things about you at this point that are not really going to improve you know, mm-hmm. or that like maybe the die has been cast in certain areas of your life. You know, not that you can't lose a little weight here or there or trim up at the gym or not that you can't, you know, I don't know, change certain habits for the better. But maybe in your personality, you know, the die has been cast a little bit. And maybe maybe um, uh, you're not maybe like all things are not possible. Right. This kind of great American promise that we make to our children that like you can kind of be anything that you want to be if you work hard enough. At a certain point, and it's not a bright line, but there's, there is kind of a gray uh, area that you sort of – a gray kind of um, what line that you pass through. And on the other side of it, like, no, you can't be anything you want to be anymore. Like an astronaut, yeah. for example. You can't be an astronaut. And, I, you know, and that like your life is going to have specifics. Uh, it's going to have circumstances, yeah. you know. And, th- and this is actually kind of a hard thing to take uh, and uh, for – people raised with the extreme privilege that we're, we're raised with in, in yeah. the first world, right? Yeah. Like the, Pity the privileged. Yeah. Well, <laughs> especially sure, okay. us white men here, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. This is, I realize that this is a white wine. This is like the white wine of, of uh, all white wines. Cause what I'm saying is essentially, essentially that like at a certain point you realize that the, that the privilege you enjoy uh, does not extend to all things at all times. Yeah. You know, the, I mean? the, it's true that the bright lights of possibility uh, are on a constantly descending dimmer switch. Yeah, you know, sure. The moment you're born till the final blackout. And that, like, and and that, that that's actually okay. And that, like, it, the thing that gives life a lot of its interest is the is the specifics of it. You know what I mean? Not that, like, you know, I'm not into film. You know what I mean? I'm into these particular movies. You know what I mean? Or I'm not into. Uh, you know, music generally. I like these songwriters, and I like these things about music, and I like you know, and I heard these songs in this order in my life, and it it had an effect on me, and it sort of it shaped me, and you know, in a particular way. You know what I mean? I am not a uh, square hunk of of um, of rock. I've been carved away. <laughs> You're a you square know. hunk of beef, Matt. <laughs> I am not a square hunk of beef. I am not. I am a. Uh, I am a very interestingly and uniquely shaped hunk of beef because of the the pressures that life has exerted on me. And so this. I'm sorry. This is like this is becoming uh, self indulgent even for us, I guess. But the the point I'm the point I'm trying no, no, to bring make, it home. I, I think this is this is good stuff. <laughs> the point the point that I'm trying to make is that like I, I'm not sure that it's it's sort of necessarily necessary uh, necessarily a thing to be lauded to sort of be one of these people who is like. Like, uh, I live outside of categories. Why do you have to label me? It would be better if we all just made out with everybody and like, sure. you know, and, and, you know, there were just kind of desire generally rather than being, you know, um, confined into these, into these boxes. I suppose there is, I mean, Glee is a show about adolescence and I suppose there's a certain amount of that in adolescence where it's like, you're kind of not out of the oven yet. And so there does have to be room to kind of figure out, um, what you know who you are what you like 
what you want in life. But, you know, at a certain point, like, it's, it's okay for Blaine to be gay. You know what I mean? It's okay for Kurt to be gay and to, and to really not be open to a, uh, you know, to a relationship with a woman because that's just not what they like. That's just not how they're, they're constituted, how their yeah. personality what, and whatever combination of biology and environment um, and nurture and nature, whatever combination it is, at, you know, at a certain point, uh, at, at a certain point, the die is cast, and, the, and that's that's who you are. Now, this is this is my what I've given you essentially is my personal opinion. I'm sure Judith Butler sees it differently. You know what I right, mean? Right, like, right. I was going to say just to argue the other side of it. Sure. Um, although I think that most people would agree with what you said. And like I, I kind of do myself, and so I, I would say they rightly agree with it. But just to argue the other side of it, you could say that all of that sense that it's it's who you are, and you've made these these choices or come to these realization realizations about yourself uh, is sort of an illusion. And in fact, the categories that you put yourself into are the categories that society places you into. Sure. Um, so that like it's not a question of. Kurt deciding, oh, you know what, I'm just not into girls, but rather a question of him being sort of, you know, placed into that box by his, like, the scripts that he has to follow or something like that. And if you buy that, like, highly constructed and illusory notion of identity in the first place, then something that breaks down the illusion and sort of, like, makes you realize that, oh, wait, there's this other possibility, this, like, this way to be resistant, this alternative identity to follow uh, would be, you know, a beneficial thing, usually. Sure. And Glee is not I think Glee actually ultimately does not Oh wait, I wanna I wanna follow on first from what from what you say a little bit. Um the idea is that even if Kurt does choose, the options that he's given to choose from uh are not of his choosing. Right? That is to say that the dominant culture has dictated what you has dictated what your choices are. Yeah, uh but, and but given, thou must. Yeah, right? yeah, and given you kind of a multiple choice giving you a multiple choice version of free will rather than rather than an entirely free will and furthermore that the categories that the dominant culture allows you to have are um are categories that serve the dominant culture you know i i I would argue fundamentally economically right that like that allow certain arrangements of power to continue uh to be to be perpetuated i think that glee glee ultimately does not um uh, countenance that postmodern, uh, that sort of post-structuralist view of the uh, of the human condition, because uh, you know homonormativity is reasserted right at the uh, at the end of the episode once alcohol is removed from the equation. Well, sure. that is to say, at the coffee bar, once a stimulant right is uh, is sure. substituted for a depressant. Um, in right. The, right. Uh, you know, in the in the scheme of things, and also that uh, it's the, Santana in in the next episode. Santana's kind of why do you have to label me? Uh, um, uh, she turns out to be fronting right with yeah. all of that, and that like in fact she is in love with Brittany, and she is she is lesbian or bisexual or whatever, uh, hmm. whatever the identity is. But she has an identity that is. Uh, that involves being very uh, definitely in love with Brittany uh, rather than being just sort of vague about everything. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and, yeah. and, and beyond that, it's not just that, um, that in the coffee bar it's like this, but that the other thing was an illusion, right? Like you could have a, a slightly different constitution of identity where when drunk, Blaine is bisexual, when not drunk, he is straight. And both of those are equally true aspects of who he is, you know, kind of like, I mean, I don't know if someone has dual citizenship, then like when they are in, uh, in France, they are French. And when they are in America, they are American. Neither one of those is like the real identity, you know, they're, they just have a dual citizenship. Um, but that, that, that kind of dual citizenship of sexuality is not allowed in here. What people do when they're drunk is a vacation from their true selves. Sure. And that's the, yeah, exactly. That's the kind of, even though, I mean, you can talk about like the, 
the biological function of alcohol is kind of removing inhibitions and like uh, removing obstacles from the uh, from between the impulse and the action. Um, hmm. So that in it, it in a sense is is a truer picture of you, or it, if not a truer picture of your identity, a truer picture of your drives, and maybe that's the dichotomy that, that we're getting at. That there's that there is identity, um, uh, which which may be constructed, but which is stable to a certain mm. extent. I mean, as stable as it can be when you're a teenager. But then there are drives, you know, underneath the identity, and the drives are this this sort of uh, this kind of lawless. Um, uh, uncontain- uncontainable force and a, a, yeah. you know a kind of overwhelming force of of wishing, uh, yeah, just right. undifferentiated desire yeah, for, which, for all things. To use the kind of psychoanalytic language, right? Like yeah. that's and and it's uh, you know right that's the realm of what the id, right? And the alcohol gives sort of access to that. Yeah. Um, to- it's kind of interesting that even Will Schuster, right? Like he, when he gets drunk, has drives to like you know. Uh, get up and sing in public and and dance with people and be fun. But then at the end of the episode, his like real personality, which is his self image and so on, reasserts himself, and he's kind of like a Mister Rogersy type. Sure. Um. Oh, the uh, I wanted to say something about the drunk dial. Did I? I think I said this last time. The the um. The drunk dial, the the uh, voicemail that gets played over the thing. This is this is a story. Um, this is a kind of a plot device that belongs to an era where uh, things can be broadcast on the internet, right? It it belongs to the internet age of of youth uh, and the people who grow up with the idea that like. You know, I don't know, don't take naked pictures because they're going to just end up online or don't, you know what I mean? Don't say kind of anything compromising online um, because it'll be, uh, uh, you know, it can be infinitely reproduced uh, over Mm -hmm. the entire world. And and once it's out there, you know, once it's out there, it's out there. I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the uh, infinite reproducibility of digital information and the kind of, you know, concomitant. voyeuristic view into everybody's life uh, i'm waiting for it to uh produce a great rebirth of empathy and of uh, you know kind of uh, brother and sisterhood among humans but it has yet to happen it's yeah, yeah. It, it seems it seems only to produce kind of wave after wave of uh increased increased ridicule but this yeah. is this is what i mean this is the age of sexting not that i think teenagers actually use that word but there was a there was a sunday new york times article about uh, sexting about by by which we mean the distribution of you know cell phone uh, self shot or you know partner shot cell phone photos of nudity via uh, MMS or via email um, among you know I don't know among social networks uh, among networks of high school students and things like this and th- the idea that like the idea of the the boundary between public and private being dissolved. Uh, really very i mean when you hold a phone up to a microphone you're doing something very definite to um i mean you're taking an action that kind of dissolves the boundary between public and private but that mm-hmm. i think is a is a kind of a a um that's a kind of an allegorical representation of the uh the um dissolve between public and private that is actually i think going to be one of the real um kind of social uh, conditions of this this generation of fucking teenagers who is you know who's coming up now. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. It's the the more realistic equivalent would be there's a photograph of Will wearing a stupid hat that gets sent around on Facebook and everyone sees it. Sure. Right? Yeah. I thought. Oh God. I thought I had marked that private or something. Yeah. You know right, what I mean. Right. Uh, it's funny though, because like in a way it harks back to a very old dramatic device device where like someone writes a letter that gets into the wrong hands or, you know, the, um, in, uh, in Herodotus, right. In, in, uh, Historia, um, uh, Herodotus tells the story of, oh God, I should have looked this up before I did it. Gyges and the ring. And he puts on oh, a ring that yeah. makes him invisible. And so he can, he can spy on his wife's bedchamber or something mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, you know, what, what he sees has disastrous con- consequences for, for himself personally and for the state. And, uh, the idea is you're better off not knowing that is to say mm-hmm. there, there is a boundary between public life and private life. And it's actually important for that to be, 
preserved. That is, mm-hmm. there's a sphere of intimacy that you, that you act in. And then there's a sphere of, of a public life that you act in. And, um, bad things happen or at least really, really messy things happen when you cross those two. Yeah. But, uh, but of course, as Glee tells us, you know, the, the personal is political. So I think you're quite right for this generation, even for our generation, sure. and certainly for like the, uh, the rising generation, that boundary is going to get blurrier and blurrier and, and blurrier. Jordan and I were just leaving college when Facebook hit just to give a, uh, you know what I mean? And it was a, uh, when Facebook was the college only network, um, Right. Yeah, that's when we. Uh, uh, yeah. So you know, we could have done that with our lives, but <laughs> but not <anymore>. instead. <laughs> so wanna... Overthinking it. dot com. Where we? <laughs> so are you drunk enough to talk about sex yet? Yes, absolutely. I've been. Uh, I've been. You know, pouring the. Um... No, uh, it's a. Uh, this podcast is actually afternoon podcast delight because it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's early afternoon for me and late afternoon for Jordan. Anyway, yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about sex. And and um, you know, if anyone calls us on it, we can blame it on the a- 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 alcohol. <laughs> I kind of like that song, actually. Ah, <laughs> uh, so um, I, I kind of like key dollar sign, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, it's great jogging music. If ever you, you know, if ever you just need something pounding <laughs> in your ear to, you know, I don't know, make it up a big hill or something. Key dollar sign high is, uh, it has its uses. I'm just saying. Um, okay. So, um, the, the sex, I mean, this is minor, but the sex tape thing, I think goes, goes to what we've been talking about. The idea that like Lauren and Puck are going to, going to make a sex tape. Um, the the idea that we can take that that there's a kind of instrumental benefit to uh taking the personal and making it public um it, you know and and you know thankfully it's it's quashed i think you know i don't know the uh mm. the internet needs um less uh, uh right <laughs> needs less high school sex tapes not more so stay off the chat roulette kids yeah, <laughs> no, but it's uh, it's interesting though because again, it's not like the way that they eventually talk them out of it is being like, look, uh, you know, it will it will totally ruin your lives. But rather, they point out like the consequence here is that you would have a sex tape out there, right? Or I mean, I, I guess they talk about them being arrested, but I feel like it, there, there's a, a whisker a whisker of the other thing too, where it's just sort of like, you know what you are doing in itself is the its own bad consequence not uh sort of the the most cartoonish terrible thing that could happen well, if of, you yeah. hit the you know hit it's, the double zero it's what you said about the kind of the moral quality of uh of after school specials where it's like you become one of the sex tape filming people <laughs> right yeah you know yeah. and that and that like that is that that is socially bad one of the sex tape filming people. Yeah. I, I kind of want that as like a, an emo musician or something like that. <laughs> the sex tape filming people. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you be one of the sex tape filming people? Um, okay, so we're back to the celibacy club in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but rather than being kind of constituted as a religious value the way it was the first time, it's it's kind of a the celibacy club now is kind of a refuge from the complexities and. Uh, uh, you know, the, the little deaths, the deaths, little and big, <laughs> <laughs> nice. the little social death of, um, having to deal with, uh, uh, you know, having to deal with like emerging adult sexuality, uh, as a young adult. So, uh, or as a teenager, as an adolescent. So, you know, it's, it's more a refuge away from the kind of bad sex world out there rather than being kind of a positive, uh, expression of a value. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, there was a lot the first time the celibacy club came up, um, which I kind of preferred the earlier incarnation. There was a lot of sort of ritualized sex behavior that went on in the celibacy club. Right. Yes. Well, that that's because before it seemed to be the inmates seemed to be running the asylum. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so right. if you like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I were running a celibacy club as a high schooler, I would have, I, I mean, of course I, you know, this is back in my days of long hair and ripped jeans. Right. But like, I would have called it the everything but club and, yeah. you know, right. and, and, uh, it would have had a decidedly, uh, you know, non-academic bent to it. The, you know, here we have Emma who is, uh, who is just weird because how can you not sleep with uncle Jesse? Right, right. Seriously. Um, Well, you can do it if the show's writers want to preserve your precious flower as a trophy for Will Schuster to claim. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm actually very annoyed about that, but it is what it is. Well, no, it's retrograde, isn't it? um, But you know what she is presented as? She's presented as kind of abnormal. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And like, you know, I don't know if you... um, if you have, but I, I've dated people who were, who, you know, were married to Jesus, uh, or, you know, I don't know, were, would be married to Jesus until they, uh, you know, gave up their precious flower and to their, uh, their husband and master and, uh, new owner. And I, you know, and I, aside from being offended by it on feminist grounds, I think that there's something weird. It, it does become a cer- at a certain point like a refuge, you know, a way to hide away from adult experience rather than sort of step into the fray, uh, mm-hmm. as it were. And and this is how this is how Emma is presented, right? She's not normal because uh, because she's not Stupp and Uncle Jesse. And my God, he has a band, <laughs> yeah, right, right? You know, he's Uncle Jesse <laughs> and that hair. <laughs> I know that mullet, um, <laughs> that glorious greasy Greek mullet that he has. Um, Yes. So, yeah, uh, so so now she's running the celibacy club and it, it changes the tenor of it markedly, right? Right. Um, um so okay, uh so what? That, the other kind of interesting thing that's uh that's going on in this is the whole Santana Brittany interaction, yeah, right? Super interesting, right? Yeah. Um so this is something you, you've talked a lot about the the fallacy of the fortunate cancer yes. on this on this show, which I think is a great little phrase. I'd like to add to our lexicon of fallacies <laughs> and uh, and bring up something that I like to call the fallacy of the asshole in the closet, <laughs> which is the notion that people who are closeted about their sexuality are always assholes and are always assholes only because of that. But we don't really know about like how far down this road they would go because Santana's kind of coming out, uh, not necessarily as a lesbian, but as someone who is openly in love with uh, with Britney and wants to have a relationship with her, is blocked by Britney's unavailability. Right. But it's presented as the reason why Santana has been a bitch, which she is. I mean, the character is, is a glorious, hilarious, wonderfully acted bitch, uh, is because of her repressed sexuality, Right. And we're sort of led to imagine this world where if she successfully uh, comes out of the closet and gets into a relationship with Brittany, she will become, uh, you know, a big bouquet of sunlight, sunshine, like wrapped up with a, a string made of rose petals and, uh, I don't know, wafting smell of fresh baked cinnamon cookies all, all over the, uh, the Ohio landscape, right? God, Jordan, I got to step into the other room for a minute. <laughs> Going on about cinnamon cookies like that, yeah, it's, I, yeah. That is that is totally that is totally interesting. I mean, that is. I guess it's necessary for drama. I mean, I I guess it's necessary for like artificially inflated dramatic tension. But it does have to come down to one thing. Like, right? We we talked a little bit about epicistemology uh, with Ryan about about Gossip Girl about the idea that. Um, that uh you know if you want to know if he loves you so it's in his kiss you know the idea that like it's a test it's kind of a a, a test of a hypothesis and it's a way of kind of figuring out what someone's really feel, feeling about you like you kiss them and um and uh it i was thinking about it and like why that is and it's it's uh, it's dramatic necessity you know what i mean like because uh narratives need crisis points and it's a way of it's a way of having a crisis point yeah. in a in a narrative and it's the same thing it's the same thing here like uh bringing it all down to um Oh, in those wretched screenwriting classes that people take places, they talk about stakes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What's at stake? And the idea that, you know, well, if 
it, everything has to be at stake. You know what I mean? In the strongest storytelling, the stakes are the highest. And so yeah. that means every, everything, if you kind of take that to its absurd conclusion, like, you know, good Hollywood writing, or at least, you know, I don't know, mainstream Hollywood writing involves everything being on the line all the time, you know, right. and that in order to do that, it all has to come down to one explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that you can have kind of one crisis point for uh for it isn't so it? that way what's at stake is not just uh santana's future sexuality but her her moral standing you know or whether i mean or whether person. she's going to have a good uh r- right her moral standing uh, whether she she's kind or whether i mean it's not even her future sexuality it's you know because it seems like her sexuality is is you know made up but um uh, or is is i uh, is determined uh by, that's what i mean by made up but it's mm. it's like um it's funny you said you said unavailability and uh, with with regard to Britney, which is exactly right. And it's something that we do as teenagers a lot and, and even young adults a lot and actually as adults a lot to, con- to confuse unavailability with rejection. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that like it feels like rejection when someone is is unavailable. But when you really kind of consider it, it's not They're They're not available. They, they haven't said no to you. They have opted out of the question of saying yes and or no to you. Uh, on, on account of on account of unavailability, so the um, that that's what happens. But it's it's just like you know, Santana is young and and uh, has wonderful qualities, and there are plenty of fish fish in the sea. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You'll find a dumb cheerleader of your own one day. You don't need to get hung sure. up on this one, sweetheart. You you know you get back on that you get back on that bike and you keep on riding. You know is, is what I want to say to Santana. So it's it's you know considered. Uh, just as a reality situation, the stakes are not really that high, but a, a lot has to be at stake at every moment. This being sort of mainstream Hollywood storytelling network, you know, primetime network television. And um, so that's, that's why, right? Like everything has yeah. to come down to this one moment. But I do think there's something about the particular scenario of somebody being confused about their sexuality and therefore a miserable asshole. Yeah. And then they come to terms with it and become like a wonderful person. Um, and like I've I've actually encountered this in practice enough times to know that it does happen, but I feel like it it, it must not always happen, you know. Because first of all, I'd like to suggest that perhaps refusing to acknowledge or even outright suppressing certain aspects of one's sexuality might be as valid a sort of lifestyle choice as being, um, you know either gay or straight or bisexual or or fluid or any other sort of completely self-aware category. Like, if it works for you, there may be no reason to mess with it. Um, second, some people who are, you know, evil or, or jerks or whatever are going to be jerks regardless of their sexuality. And I think actually Scrubs had a hilarious sort of subversion of this where the character of the Todd, who had been like, you know, incredibly inappropriately harassing women in every appearance on the show. Like, that was his role. He was the surgeon who was was a pig to women. Uh, is at one point outed as either gay or bisexual and immediately turns around and starts being an incredible uh, sexually aggressive pig to both men and women. So that he's, like, walking down the hall and, like, grabbing every ass he sees, regardless of who it uh, belongs Better. to. And, yeah. Like, the reason why it works as a joke is because we are so convinced that once he realizes what he's really interested in, he will become a good person. It's, uh, yeah, and in Glee, it's not just Santana, right? It's that football player who, uh, yeah. that closeted football player who does the bullying because of, of football. Um, you know, uh, this is cool. Let's see, what it, what is left to kind of cover in, in, in this one? Oh, uh, Kurt's dad's sex talk with him continues the trend of Kurt's dad being awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it also, it's interesting, yeah. there's something that you said a long time ago on this show that, like, you didn't think that Kurt was honestly ready to be sexual uh, in any way. And, like, this sort of vindicates you there, right? Like, he, he wants the, the lingering touch on the wrist because that's all that, uh, that he can handle, in a way. 
Sure. And that's like, you know, and that's fine. I mean, right? Like people develop at uh, uh, sort of at different at different rates. And the sure. idea, I, you know, the idea of, of Emma is that she's an adult woman, you know, in a marriage, you know, you know yeah. what I mean, in a permanent commitment. But that that um, Glee, one of the I mean, one of the I don't know, socially laudable things I think Glee does is sort of leave room for development. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That is to say, yeah. you're not you're not done. Uh, you're not out of the oven as a uh, you know as a teenager, and that's and that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not, not until you reach the decrepit old age of thirty do you realize that you know you're a broken shell of your former self, your dreams lying in ruins around your feet, and uh, you know that um, in fact there are many mountains that are far too high to climb. But 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 that even then it's not uh that's no excuse for giving up right like Kurt's dad is clearly uncomfortable on a fundamental level with homosexuality but he's going to like muscle through and have the talk anyway and like bit by bit doing that kind of thing does make him more okay with it on a fundamental level in the same way like Emma I guess you could say that she's backsliding a little bit here but there have been episodes where like she wrestles with her OCD and make some incremental progress little bit by bit, which is, you know, another, uh, another kind of growth and also socially laudable to show, I would say. Yeah, sure. Uh, which is, which is not to say we think Glee ought to be, uh, socially laudable, like an after school (laughs) special, but you know, Hey, why not? I mean, I think it's, I think it's fair to talk about the social, the social, um, uh, the social uh, meanings of of Glee in some of the same ways that we've talked about the uh, the social meanings of Gossip Girl, but Gossip Girl is about is about uh, you know uh, aristocratic identities that are free artists of themselves, and uh, you know each one is a kind of glorious solitude uh, that uh, you know that sort of constitutes the dynamics of its own functioning you know in accordance with its will, um, and and Glee is about is about more about being a person in a society, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and what it means to kind of uh what the kind of the vicissitudes of of uh in interpersonal um interaction are mm-hmm. right yeah i would say so yeah All right, are we done? Yeah. <laughs> <Is that it? laughs> there we go. I, think... I, have, I, have a, I have one question I'd like to sort of pose to the audience. Maybe they can uh, put, take this up in the comments if anyone can think of one. Right at the end of the, uh, the alcohol episode, Rachel decides that having a crush and like a, a fledgling relationship with a guy that then turns out to be gay is songwriting gold. Can anyone think of a single song written by a woman about, like, uh, how she was so in love with this guy who turned out to be gay? That's, like, a great song. Because I I can't think of one, and I'd be curious if it actually exists. All right. If you have a gay song, a, uh, sorry, a gay ex-lover song, um, you can uh, email it to tftpodcast at at overthinkingit.com. You can uh, hit us up on the Twitters or on the, um, we'll start this, you know what we'll do is we'll start this as a discussion on the Facebook page and see if we, see if we can't, uh, see if we can't find out about that. Uh, do us a favor and give us uh, a bunch of stars on iTunes. Uh, that'll help other people find us. And hey, would, would you share this podcast with a friend? You know, friends don't let friends listen to podcasts alone. You can have a drunken, uh, you can have a drunken these funking teenagers alcohol party where you all do awkward things. No, that's terrible. You can make a tape of yourself enjoying this podcast and release it on the internet to, to jumpstart your modeling career. <laughs> that, would, that would be fantastic. Uh, that it's just like, huh? No, huh? Hmm. Or like yeah. you're, you're you're either you know what I mean you're like you're vacuuming your apartment or you're like making dinner or something uh, you yeah. know what <laughs> with with headphones in the whole time and, it, and it's filmed through a night vision filter for like no reason at all because <laughs> it's the middle of the day <laughs> just to kind of make it just to kind of make it really uncomfortable uh, that's good um, well good well hey we will uh, we will see you next time for our discussion of non oriented sexuality for our uh, discussion of you know. Uh, individual aristocratic identities versus uh, socially determined uh, adolescent identities for our discussion of the alcohol for why Emma is not having sex with Uncle Jesse for um, why Prince is pretty much the most awesome musician in the universe. Uh, and most of all,
for our discussion of these fucking, fucking teenagers. teenagers.